We'll come tonight to the seventh and the final of our Lord's words from the cross. Far from the first one to make a series out of these final words of Jesus. Some greats of church history have done the same Puritan uh, later work. Uh, I last did it, if my records show correctly, back in 2000. And so it has been a delight to uh, go back to these final words and to renew my acquaintance with them. Luke chapter 23, and I'll just read verses 44 to 46. Luke 23. It was now about the sixth hour, and there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour, and the sun's light failed, and the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Then Jesus, calling out with a loud voice, said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Having said this, he breathed his last. Amen. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, you spoke even from the cross, the blessing of your people. So we pray you'd bless us. This, your final word, is treasured by us and meditated upon by us. Send your spirit. Make this your word, a blessing in our hearts, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. So we only find it here, only find it in Luke's gospel, this seventh word, our Lord on the cross, apparently uttered very close to the sixth word that we saw last week that John gives us. The Lord says, it is finished, and John tells us that he dies moments later. So, taking John and Luke together, we gather, we conclude that our Lord had one more thing to say after saying those words, it is finished. It's the word that we come to tonight. There are other things that are interesting in our text, but we'll be focusing just on the words themselves as we have. So... What will we find of profit in these last of the last words? Number one, and very simply, we find a reminder of what it is that death brings. So our Lord is about to experience death. In his humanity, he is going to take the cup of death. And drink it. This is essential to his fulfilling the demands of the law, which requires death for sinners. But what he says reminds us very basically of the nature of death. Uh, Children, you know that death is not the moment when we cease to exist. It's not that. Uh, It's not the moment when our bodies finally break down like a car on the side of the road, and we have to get out and walk. Some people do have that 
notion of death. Body breaks down, it's set aside. Then the spirit roams the earth. Maybe later this month, there'll be a lot of notions of that, sadly, in our society. That's not the nature of death. Death is the separation of body and soul, but more particularly, what our Lord reminds us of in these final words is that it's the taking of the soul from the body by God. Ecclesiastes reflects, no man has power to retain the spirit or power over the day of death Why not? Because God has that power. As Jesus himself taught in that story he told of the rich man who lives like there's no tomorrow, God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you. Speaking of what happens at death. Jesus knows what will happen when he dies. God the Father will take possession of his spirit in a unique way. His soul, his spirit, they're the same thing, they're used interchangeably, will be in God's hands. Beautiful expression, of course, God doesn't have hands, but it's a reference to God taking hold of that spirit part of us in a unique way, in a new way, the moment of death. Our Lord is reminding us by these words of the change that's going to come to all of us at death, the physical part of our being, the bodily part of our being. It formed the house, the dwelling place, the tent, the tabernacle as it's called, of our soul. It will fail, crumble. And the soul, for the first time, will be without the supports of the body. But the soul will, in that moment, be in the hands of God. Uh, By the way, this is true of the wicked and the righteous. Your souls are taken from this life into the life to come. I'd rather think of the fish that I saw earlier this week, hauled out of the lake. An experience, no doubt, you have awareness of the fish. Hauled into some whole other world. The soul to be taken by God from this life, from this world, into the other world. Remembering something our friend Brad Troll used to say when I'd visit him. Good Lord is ready to come and get me, Nathan. I'll be ready. And he spoke truly. The Lord comes to get us in our death. He comes for our soul. We die. You won't be concerned about your body on the moment of your death, you'll leave your body to your family and friends to take care of. You'll be concerned about your soul. What's going to happen to it? You'll be concerned rightly in particular with what God intends to do with it. So 
just most basically as we reflect on our Lord's words, into your hands I commit my spirit, reminds us we have an opportunity while we live to prepare for that moment. God will take us, our souls, in hand. You know this, I simply remind you, I trust unto your edification. It's the teaching of scripture that men can be prepared to die. They can be prepared for that moment when God comes and takes in his hands their souls. But there is no time to prepare when the moment is upon us. No time to prepare then. How do you prepare? How do we prepare for that moment? It's not just by bravely facing the reality of death. People in the world do that. It's by embracing Christ himself, the one we're studying, who's hanging there on the cross, who's doing something on the cross that alone can make us prepared for the day when we fall into the hands of God in our, day, in our death. I would suggest that this prayer of our Lord could well make a sinner's prayer in this life. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. If you mean by that prayer, Father, take this soul, this dirty, sin-soiled soul, and wash it and renew it with your spirit. Take my soul. I commit it to you. One of our fathers has put it, uh, before any other knowledge attainable by us, before any knowledge attainable by us in the compass of the universe, it is most essential for us to know what our creator and sovereign Lord intends to do with us after death. And so our Lord, as he draws our attention to what death is like and what happens to our souls, they in a new and unique way, fall into the hands of God who made them. We're right to ask ourselves, as if we'd never ask ourselves, are we ready to die? Are our debts paid? Are our sins pardoned? Are we reconciled to God? Have we made out our will? I leave my soul to my Savior. It's not too late, even tonight, to prepare yourself to die. Your soul being the most precious thing you have. Is it quite safe? Someone has said the soul cannot take anything from this life except the favor of God. Grace. So we best prepare for dying by seeking to take into our heart God's true grace. So it's a reminder, these words of our Lord, of what it is that death brings. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Secondly, it's an example of surrender in death 
that we too can have. Now, the Bible speaks of the death of the wicked in a very dreadful way, I'm sure you know. Job, chapter 18, Bildad is recounting the miserable existence of the wicked and the miserable end of the wicked man. He says he is torn from the tent in which he trusted and he is brought to the king of terrors. The writer of Hebrews says it's a dreadful thing to fall into the hands living God. That's the experience of death in the case of those who have no saving relationship with Christ. But it's not the model for God's people. Jesus gives us that model, as a matter of fact, and I'm calling it a kind of sweet surrender. He's not concerned as he speaks of what God will do with his soul. He surrenders his soul to the Father with Complete confidence that the Father will only care tenderly for it, that which he commits to him. And that's the same kind of confidence you and I can have. And this is a good time to tell you that when Jesus says, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit, he's actually once again from the cross putting his heart cry into the words of Scripture. The seventh word is yet again another quote. It's a quote from the Psalms. It's a quote from Psalm 31. We'll sing it or try to with the tune that I have in just a few minutes. Psalm 31 verse 5. David says, into your hands I commit my spirit. Redeem me, O Lord, the God of truth. If I took hand-raising on Sunday night services, I'd ask, who knows the other place in the New Testament where this expression is used? Who said this? Who said this as they prepared in just a few moments to die? Well, it was Stephen. Stephen, the first martyr of a church. In Acts chapter 7, while they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, Receive my spirit. I'm told that many of the martyrs of the church took this as their prayer in their final moments. Some of the most famous of the martyrs took our Lord's seventh saying and made it their own. So I'm making the point that what Jesus is confessing, what he's giving testimony to, a a sweet surrender to the Father in his dying can be ours as well. For those who die, who are beloved by God, there's blessed comfort in the words of our Lord because for them, unlike the wicked, the hands of God are a comforting, possible place to be. Souls of the wicked are snatched from this world. The people of God peacefully surrender their soul to God's safe keeping. You know that in times of upheaval and trial, we rightly reach out to God and cling to him by faith. And we use that language. We 
place ourselves in his hand. It's a privilege for us to live that way, and that's in fact the best way to ensure that you'll have that sweet surrender when it's time to die. You could say that into your hands I commit my spirit. It could be more than a sinner's prayer. It could actually be a daily prayer. I surrender to God in his care for you. After all, David, who prays this, lived uh, to write a psalm about it. Listen to Charles Spurgeon, who is making this point. I'm borrowing it from him. This is a prayer for every day, not just our dying day. Charles Spurgeon says, Is it not very exceptional, dear friends, that the words which Jesus uttered on the cross you may still continue to use? You may catch up their echo, and not only when you come to die, but tonight, tomorrow morning. And as long as you are here, you may still repeat the text the Master quoted, Psalm 31, and say, into your hand I commit my spirit. Indeed, not every, only every day, but all through the day. Does a horse run away with you? You cannot do better than to say, Father, into your hand I commit my spirit. And if the horse does not run away with you, you cannot do better than say the same words. Do you have to go into a house where there's a fever? I mean, is it your duty to go there? Then go, saying, Father, into your hand, I commit my spirit. Spurgeon is commending our getting into a, a holy habit, committing our spirits to God so that it will be second nature. The time comes for you to do that finally. Peter says, therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. I've said it's a reminder of what it is that death brings, these words of our Lord. It's an example of surrender and death that we too can have. I'll end thirdly. By singing these words of our Lord, a final evidence of the completion of his work as our Savior. I see that in several ways. I touched on one of them last time. Uh, it's that he calls God his Father. And we saw last time that as a sign of his sense of Full restoration to God is his father and all the favor of that. He had started out by saying, Father, forgive them. They do not know what they're saying. That's the first of the seven sayings. He, he speaks with the intimacy of a son to his father. That had been interrupted. He cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Now it's restored. He's calling God, his father. There remains nothing that alienates him from him anymore. His work, standing before God as a judge in all of his fury, that work is over. So I see just in the name that he uses for God, 
sign of his restoration. It's because, brothers and sisters, uh, Jesus knows God is his father that you can know God is your father. Because you're one with him and his final word on the cross becomes for that reason an assurance that you can have that same intimacy with God in heaven. You can call him father. Because that was the name on our Lord's lips as he died. I also see significance in his crying out. We're told in a loud voice. You saw that. Then Jesus, verse 26, calling out with a loud voice, said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Uh, You remember that John tells us that he says, it is Finished, and John doesn't tell us with what energy or force he says it. Jesus could have whispered. But Luke wants you to know this final word, he shouts. Now that's a remarkable thing in and of itself. A man all but dead, hanging on a cross. Clearly had an impact on others. If you keep reading in Luke, he tells us the centurion was particularly impressed by it. He says, Certainly this man was innocent. But here's what's interesting to us to ask. What was our Lord finding so worth shouting from the cross, summoning in the midst of all his weakness and his pain, the energy necessary to say it in such a loud voice? Into your hands I commit my spirit. You know, suppose what was behind the shout probably has a lot to do with the fact that for the last 12 hours he'd been in the hands of wicked men. He had spoken that way to his disciples. The Son of Man is going to be betrayed. Into the hands of men. He is about to escape their hands. To be in the hands of his father. And that would lead him to the presence of his father there in heaven. And he would receive the comforts of paradise. And so it's with all of that. His escape from the hands of men into the secure hands of his father. Where he would be taken to paradise. It's. That, surely, calls for a a triumphant shout. Yes, even a glad shout. There from his place of torment. This is what he himself had spoken of with the thief on the cross. He said, you will be with me in paradise. The implications of the words, it is finished. By the way, have I had occasion to say it in this series? There's not one or two. There's three, at least, of these final sayings of our Lord from the cross that utterly dispel any notion that Jesus, at this point, descended into hell in a literal sense. The Westminster tradition, our Dutch Reformed brothers, take pains to clarify that 
that expression in the Apostles' Creed is not to be understood as if Jesus went from the cross spiritually to the place we call hell. As if Jesus wasn't going to paradise with the thief on the cross that day. As if his suffering was not utterly finished. As if he was going anywhere but the loving hands of his father. The next three days. So Jesus' sufferings, the Protestant and Reformed understanding of hell, entirely on the cross. When he gave up his spirit, he had nothing more to do with hell. So he shouts in triumph his final word. And one of the things that I see is showing full work of the Savior. He speaks of committing his soul. I think we should hear that language in light of what he had said once upon a time in his ministry about voluntarily laying down his life. So let's read Luke's account of our Lord's final word in light of what he says in John 10, how he would die in a unique way inasmuch as he would lay down his life with the same power that he had to take it back up again. John 10, verse 17, Jesus says, For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down. I have authority to take it up again. This charge I've received from my Father. Friends, I would submit to you, we're listening in yet again to another prayer of our Savior. This is his final prayer before death comes. And he's praying if we can take John 10, 17, and 18. He's praying something like this. Father, I'm ready to do it now. I'm ready to do what you've commissioned me to do when you sent me to be savior of this world. No one here can take my life from me. Only I can give it up. And I'm about to do so. I'm about to do so for the same reason I've done everything in life. Because for this reason you love me. So he says, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Luke tells us, having said this, he breathed his last. That, of course, is one sense in which our Lord's death is different from ours. We are surrendered and passive when we die. We have no power to command our own spirit. Our Lord was surrendered, but he was ever so active. He gave up his spirit, we're told. Don't ever forget, brothers and sisters, that death for our Lord Jesus was an act. It was a final act. 
obedience to his Father. It was the final fulfillment of the charge that he had received from his Father. The gesture of love, and not first to your mother. Gesture of love to the Father. For his final word was with his final deed. His death was his deed to save you and me. Obedience to his Father. I'd like to give you something to think about as we come to the table in just a moment. I'm going to lean on John Flavel. When Jesus commits his spirit to the Father's hands, our Puritan Father says, he's committing ours too. Everything he does as the divine Messiah is for our benefit. Let, listen, John Flavel, this will bless you as you come to the table tonight. When Christ commends his soul to God, he doth, as it were, bind up all the souls of the elect in one bundle with it, solemnly presents them all with his, to his Father's acceptance. Jesus Christ neither lived nor died for himself, but for believers what he did in this very act refers to them as well as to his own soul. You must look, therefore, upon Christ in this last and solemn act of his life as gathering all the souls of the elect together and making a solemn tender of them all as his own soul to God. What Flavel is saying is that your soul, in this very unsafe and uncertain world, is actually the safest thing of all. Because your soul has been committed by Christ to the Father's hands, even his final word. Amen.